I was just thinking about something before while you're speaking and I lost it. So I'm trying to remember. Give me a second. Like we can cut this off. I, I, I had a really good point. Okay. Should I feel responsible for this silence? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not a shared one. <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's my responsibility. Life Month. A podcast undescribably tangled. Unnecessarily complex. So bad that it's good. Life Math. So I didn't remember what I was talking, uh, what I was thinking about before, but I thought of something new, <laughs> which is it's kind of surprising connection I just made to this book that I read many years ago. I must have been like twelve or something. I don't remember the book's name or author or or much about it, but it was this sci-fi. The main, the main plot was about how these three people from planet Earth were chosen to somehow get their, their brains, their minds extracted from their physical bodies and combined into this one super mind of them three to be the mind of a spaceship that then goes, you know, into space for essentially eternity. And I, I don't remember much about the actual plot of the book, what actually happened, but I remember my fascination at the time of reading with this concept of how these three different people, three different personalities, were just put together. And, and the way it works is that they couldn't you know, hide. You're not yourself anymore. You can't. The other two kind of brains always know what you're thinking. You're completely transparent because... It's one uh, joint brain now. Uh, and them three had essentially a joint responsibility about themselves because now it's one being. It's three separate brains, but it's one being. And they couldn't hide thoughts from each other. And so it was, at least in my memories from the book, it was this journey of how three separate entities kind of learned how to do shared responsibility properly and the solution that they leveraged was essentially well <laughs> you know if if we become the same being it's not really shared responsibility anymore it's a single entity responsibility but it's kind of what happens when you know people get very very close they become a unit like for example a family uh, like if two people are married for 40 years that they're a unit they're they're separate people but a shared responsibility between them is essentially a single entity responsibility because they, they know each other so well. Uh, same with, I guess, teams. Yeah, what about team sports? That that's actually an interesting, interesting thought. Now, I I think it's I think it's very relevant. There is one caveat though. It matters how many people are in a team, and what I've I've seen this study before. I really don't remember how it went. But it was it went along the lines of you have one superstar. Let's say in basketball it's LeBron James. And he's so good, and there's so few people on the pitch that he can basically carry the game. Or you have Michael Jordan, 
he has done this numerous times. He's famous for being like angry, and he when he's angry, he he wins the game, right? And he's one superstar. There's the team responsibility, it's shared responsibility, but at the end of the day, pass the ball to Michael and he's gonna win the game, right? And then you have football, or as they call it in the US, soccer. <laughs> so you have you have this sport which has eleven people on each side on each team. And then you have a Messi or you have a Cristiano Ronaldo or Ronaldo the Phenomenon, the original Ronaldo. I don't know if you're a football fan. Anyways, one person can rarely carry the team there because there are so many people on the pitch that it's hard for this person to make a difference. And he could be this superstar, but we know that Messi has never won the World Cup, although he has been considered the best player in the world for many years. And it was very fascinating to me that basketball has five players and Michael Jordan can make it work. No offense to um, Scottie Pippen and all the other people. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Don't blame me for liking Jordan. But shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Scottie Pippen, my man. <laughs> and all the others. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate you guys. I really like you. But at the end of the day, everybody acknowledges that one person could make the difference between average, good or great. Right. And in football, one person can make the difference between average and good, but maybe not great. You need more than one person. Going back to our topic, you have this shared responsibility in team games. If your team consists of two players, one of them could really make a difference. If it consists of five players, this guy has to be pretty exceptional and then he could make a difference. But if you're talking about 11 players, it becomes too many. Like this one person cannot really make a difference. That's what makes football such a great game. Shout out to all the football fans. You need a good team. You can't rely on one good player to make your game. And that's why basketball is such an American game because it's very superstar and this is very marketable. You can you can really sell more t-shirts, more jerseys. You can it's very capitalist to have one star in in a team. Then it's a very European, very football footbally to have a team. We have maybe maybe the German team. You know, often the German team in many sports they're very good together, but there is no one superstar that everybody knows. Maybe nobody knows them, and they win the World Cup because they're a very good team. Maybe it's a bit cultural, this shared responsibility thing, being a superstar against being a part of the team. Yeah, and those team games, maybe what we like about them, maybe what makes them so interesting to watch, that they're kind of an embodiment of the concept of shared responsibility and making it work. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, at least all that I can think of now, sports with more than just a couple of players have the concept of a captain, right? So... They don't just say, okay, you 11 guys are the team, make shared responsibility work. Even those very well-constructed, tightly-knit teams have the necessity for a captain, which is essentially, yeah, you all share the responsibility, but you share it more. You are the captain. Um, 
So on your original question of how, what strategies c- could there be to, to make sure responsibility work? Well, it seems that appointing a captain works. And that's, um, <laughs> on a more kind of abstract level, there's just the, the concept of breaking symmetry. If you have 11 equal players to share responsibility, it's very symmetrical. You pick one to be the captain and you've broken symmetry and you've created a different structure kind of topologically because now this guy is, is, is different, the center of this circle of, of 11 players. Uh, while, for example, in team uh, tennis, doubles, there's no captain. It's just two guys or two girls or, or mix, doesn't matter. And there's no captain. It, it, it's pure shared responsibility there, which is pretty cool. At least I don't think actually, maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a captain when there's only two players in doubles. Imagine Rafael Nadal and some other Spanish guy in the team who's going to be the captain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's always like the power dynamics, but it's not that explicit. Are you making a cocktail? No, I'm just just vacuuming my bottle. I I have this pool. With which I suck the air out of the bottle, and it it, it doesn't spoil. Look at this champagne socialist talking about sure responsibility for the for the earth while vacuuming his prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's interesting what you're saying because there is this there is this Latin expression, primus inter pares, which is first among equals. And basically it was, as far as I remember, please guys, don't be too harsh on me. In the Senate, I believe it was everybody is equal, but they're the first person to speak, the first person who can open the debate. He was the one who who was the, the first among equals. And in Bocconi University, all the teachers knew Latin. So they would constantly like, bombard us with these um, expressions and it was usually ab- about countries which you have where you have a prime minister and it's a prime ministerial government and then the prime minister is the first among equals so he is de facto the captain of the team but they can get rid of the captain right and they can appoint another captain while as you can see in the US uh, they try to impeach Trump and then remove him from the, from being the president of the U.S., but it's a very, very hard procedure because he's not the first among equals. He's the first. Yeah, so that's that's something interesting that you're bringing up because it's basically this concept. You have everything is equal, but there is one person who is first among equals. It's funny that you're mentioning it in the context of sports when the Romans have thought of it <laughs> 2,000 years ago. Uh <laughs> Maybe they had it in their games as well. I, I'm actually not sure what team sports there used to be at the time. I should I should talk to Julia about it. Being a gladiator is no team sport. Not a very team sport. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, actually. You know, for example, I, I don't know if this is a real thing or just some sort of movie um, plot thing, but imagine five random gladiators that we don't know each other get placed in the arena and some I don't know, lions and stuff get released upon us and we have to defend ourselves so immediately we're allies and we have the shared responsibility survive and um 
okay, suppose we know that there's more waves of, of creatures coming at us. I, I want the guys around me to survive so we can protect each other for the next one. So it's kind of immediate shared responsibility that, that will probably work because it, it's in my best interest to, to make everybody else survive. And the threat is very immediate. That's kind of the issue with shared responsibility. If the threat is not immediate, which it is in a war, for example, it's very hard to be really responsible. So with climate change and then saving the earth, etc., the threat is not, um, it's a bit more abstract. It's not coming today or tomorrow. It's a, it's a more gradual change. It's going to affect us in a while. Uh, and so people find it hard to really commit to, to being personally responsible as part of the shared responsibility. While, say, on the battlefront of some war, not that I've participated, and I hope never to, but I, c- I could imagine that it's much easier to build this uh, kind of natural camaraderie with the, with the soldiers around you to share the responsibility of winning the war because you don't want to get shot and the more people on your team, the chances are you're going to win. So the threat is just much more immediate. So it's easier to build those um, responsibility links, let's say. Who am I to argue with thousands of years of war? (laughs) 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 Okay, so um, I really want to bring this to a, a topic that we've discussed many times with you, but let's let's vocalize it let's verbalize it let's say it out to the world how do you determine who should bear the responsibility for a thing and who shouldn't i was just waiting for this to happen like since you brought the topic up i i knew we're coming to this point and i was waiting to see exactly how you're gonna you know approach it yeah so i had many many i had many openings just for the listeners this is an idea that iskra introduced me to we developed it um, a bit further, and I'm really not sure what is your current understanding of it. I think unchanged. Huh? I think unchanged. <laughs> okay, so please, please uh, go forward. The question was, how do you determine who bears the responsibility for what? And is there a framework that you can use? to always determine the person who should be responsible for something. In a, in a group situation, yep. Okay, so the setup is that there's a group of people and a bunch of tasks to be performed or not performed. Maybe they can be skipped, but there's some cost if you skip it. Like, for example, you're going on a trip, and if nobody brings water, you're going to be thirsty. Maybe you're not going to die, but it's unpleasant, right? So the question is, who is responsible to remember to bring the water who's responsible to actually bring the water who's responsible to remember to make sandwiches who's responsible to have thought to bring bread from the city down onto the mountains to then make sandwiches etc and so what we've discussed before is that whenever we've thought about it it seems that a pretty robust solution that just seems to get the job done is that whoever is going to suffer the most bears the responsibility to make it happen. So, for example, suppose that uh, we're going hiking in the mountain again and, and one of us is allergic to snakes. 
and there's some low but non-negligible chance that there are snakes and, and you get bitten. Allergic to snakes. <laughs> no, there's legit people. Yeah, you know, snakes are poisonous to everybody. Everybody's allergic to them, <laughs> to poisonous snakes. But some are like deadly, you know, like s- some people have a much worse reaction. Okay, maybe a bad example. <laughs> but the other ones are trivial. You know? Or imagine this one person who gets hungry and the others don't. <laughs> okay, let's, let's say <laughs> let's say somebody is allergic to pollination, you know? They're, they're these pollens that are flying around and they're going to okay, sneeze they and cry. Yeah, let's, let's say this one. This is very relatable and definitely a thing unlike allergic to snakes. <laughs> okay, fair point, fair point. But snakes, though, come on, snakes are a cool concept. They're literally long tubes of meat that 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 can like move. They're an amazing concept, and they can kill anyway. you, not make you sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> they can do both. So, okay, for the pollination example, it's actually a pretty good one because in the whole group of friends, maybe everybody's slightly allergic you know get a bit of a sneeze a bit of puffy eyes but it's not terrible and then one of those people is much more allergic and gets like a persistent cough and just some dry cough and streaming eyes with tears it's just very unpleasant so i would say that it's this person's responsibility to bring the the anti-allergy pills and, and prepare and if everybody goes up and there's no such anti-allergic pills and then an argument occurs oh who was supposed to bring them if nobody thought about it then well everybody has failed for themselves and then the person who has failed the most for himself is that person who has the severest allergy same with for example if in the same trip you know we hire a nice house somewhere in the mountains I'm thinking in particular this trip I did, house in the Scottish Highlands for a week. Pretty cool. We do hikes. We also just stay at the house and chill. And there was this person who really wanted to to play multiplayer PlayStation games. So I would say it's their responsibility to bring the PlayStation because they would suffer the most if it weren't there. And they did. So if I don't particularly care about the outcome, it's not really my responsibility. Now, that being said, there's the the asterisk that uh, if somebody cares the most about something, is their responsibility to make sure it happens, not to actually get it done, because there might be a higher cost to do it. So, for example, if, um, you know, we're, we're going to some... Yeah, I can help you out with this. Like, Go this ahead. guy that wants to play a PlayStation, he doesn't have a PlayStation, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it would be their responsibility to, to make sure that there is a PlayStation. Now, if they don't have a PlayStation, they can either you know, buy one, get one from a friend or something, or ask another person who's coming to the same um, week away, can you please bring it? And once they've made this request, it's that other person's responsibility to, to either communicate that they don't want to or get it done. So, yeah. In, in, in short, the framework is that in a group where there's tasks to be to be done, 
is the responsibility of the person who would suffer most if the task is not done to make sure it happens, not necessarily to actually do it. Just make sure it happens in one way or another. I, I really like this concept. Uh, we, we, we've communicated this to many people. We've had some good arguments about it. Some people agree, some people disagree. Generally, since this framework is so general, we can always boil down to this framework, in my opinion. Now, there are exceptions, though. There are these edge cases. What you've mentioned before is somebody can decide to do something nice for another guy. For instance, I know that you really like PlayStations. I know that you don't, but let's say this this person that was with you. And I know I'm coming and I really want to make this person happy. So if it doesn't bother me, I can bring my PlayStation and be like, hey man, I brought this PlayStation so we can play together and you can be extra happy about this trip. This is this gesture of goodwill. I didn't have any responsibility about it. Nobody would blame me for not bringing the PlayStation. Nobody would even think about me bringing the PlayStation, right? Like I'm not the guy who should bring the PlayStation. But I can decide to be this good person uh, and do it. But there are these edge cases. We acknowledge this. We know that our initial framework, the one that Iskran described, is not thinking about this because it's not about feeling extra good, but actually preventing some cost, preventing some pain. In the case of allergies, in the case of I really want to play the PlayStation, I'm addicted to the PlayStation. And yeah, now in this context of uh, responsibility, what I wanted to ask you is we should re- assign responsibilities, right? The guy who wants to play the PlayStation, he's responsible for the for making making this happen. But and then you have these other cases which I pointed out that I want to make him happy and I'm bringing the PlayStation, but I'm not responsible for this. It's not a responsibility. It's not. Res- it's not related to responsibility. It's not uh, related to accountability. It's related to something else, like making people happy, right? And my question to you is, can you think of a time, it's like an interview, can you think of a time when you have taken responsibility for something, for someone, outside of this context? So you didn't want to make this person feel better, but there was this very big problem that was going to arise and you felt the need to take responsibility for, I don't know, this guy was about to to get these snake allergies that you're talking about, and you took the snake, the anti-snake first. Yeah, this this definitely feels like a like a job interview. You know, when was the time <laughs> that you that you took responsibility? <laughs> yeah, can you think of any time that you wanted to prevent this negative outcome in in a way? Um, I don't know, off the top of my head, can't really remember, you know, maybe I haven't done those nice gestures. I don't, yeah, I don't know, I can't remember. Have you? I'm having a lot of these in my life because I'm I'm trying to over-prepare for stuff. And if I know that someone may may forget about this thing, which is very important for them, I think that these are much more common in a family or at work you have some 
work to do. And you know what? Somebody else should have done something, right? And they're responsible for it. They're accountable for it. It hurts everybody. It's a part of the shared responsibility or something like this. And even though it's their responsibility, you have some stake in it, let's say. So it's possible that you check that they didn't do it and you do it for them instead of them. In this way, you're basically taking the responsibility, although it's not your responsibility, to cover for your teammate or to help them out. I'm sure you've done something like this. All the situations I can think of are family-related or work-related. I can't really think of any other context. Maybe I understand that dynamic so well that I can make this decision. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, especially to prevent like a disaster. Because with friends, for example, you, you do those nice gestures where you you bring something as a surprise for the others to enjoy, but it's it's not to prevent a disaster. Snake antidote. <laughs> <laughs> Always bring your snake antidote. Is this the title of this podcast episode? Snake antidote. Space snake antidote. Snakes put in space. Snakes in space. It's a, it's a, it's a tough question for particular things. I don't know. I, all I could think about is like if I, if I, <laughs> if I get some, some, some sweets, some candy, uh, and I just get extra for everybody, and everybody's happy because it's candy, <laughs> which obviously doesn't avert a disaster. <laughs> yeah, the disaster is that everybody's hungry, and there's nothing good to it because. Nobody remembered to make sandwiches. Yeah, we're going to eat snake antidote. <laughs> Everybody was thinking about the freaking snake antidote. <laughs> yeah, it's against snakes. When you eat snakes, you have to take the snake antidote afterwards. Ah, so now snakes are safe to eat. I see, I see, I see. <laughs> I don't know, man. In fact, yesterday I tried eel for the first time. Not in sushi, okay, but like just the whole eel. It's kind of a snake. Man... Trying the eel sushi, this is extremely bougie, first of all. You know, it costs, it costs like <laughs> one, one piece of eel sushi costs like, I have no idea. It was extremely expensive everywhere I went. And I must say, it's the best sushi. Oh, I, I, I think I quite agree. Yeah, and this was, imagine like a full kind of steak. It's not really a steak, but how can you even describe this? A full snake <laughs> of a deal. <laughs> and um, actually not as good as the sushi. It's too much on its own. Somebody had to say it, just eel, too much. It's too rich. Oh man, I feel for you. I feel for you. <laughs> had to be said, just had to be said. <laughs> okay, man. I have one last question for you that I've prepared. So I've prepared eight questions. We've been speaking for so long, but the last question is, are there times when you feel you have to take responsibility for something? It's not your responsibility, but you feel like you have to take responsibility. Well, usually it's in those team situations when, you know, something has to be done. If it doesn't get done, everybody will suffer a lot, but I can see that Either everybody's shying away from it, or there's actually the quite interesting case when somebody is even willing to do it, but 
I, I know that for some reason they, they're not appropriate for the job or they wouldn't do a very good job of it. They don't, I don't understand very well the problem or they're never experienced this particular thing. And for some reason, I, I believe I am better suited. And then even if I don't really feel like doing it, I'm like, okay, I, I'll just do it because I have to and everybody will suffer otherwise. Or I don't know if it's going to take me an hour, it's going to take them eight hours because I happen to have done the same thing before. I don't know. And even if I really don't want to do it, I would still not waste that other person's full day for something I can do in an hour. But I think that's kind of more work-related or, you know, group projects in university, out of school. You just kind of take responsibility over the thing because you know why. <laughs> you haven't defined anything. It was a bit too vague for me. I could imagine a hundred different situations. So would you say it's like you don't trust the other person to do it, so you have to take responsibility for it? Or you or you want to say, I have more knowledge than the other person, so I have to just take responsibility for it? Or you're like, I want to relieve this other person from the burden of it because I know this person is going to struggle with it because of X, Y, and Z? Well, it could be all of them, right? Because it kind of depends on the attitude. Basically, if if, if the other person... It's another two by two table. It's yes or no for whether the other person can get it done well enough, and yes or no for whether the other person thinks they can get it well enough. So if they can get it done and they think so, it's perfect that they they'll just do it. If they can't do it and they don't think they'll do it, okay, somebody else, perhaps me, will do it. But the two other elements are more interesting. What if they think they can get it done, but I know they can't for some reason, then you kind of have to step in and either just be like, don't worry, I'll take care and not really explain why. But do you? Because you're preventing learning in this way. Like they have to face the problem, experience the issue, and then you tell them like the holy grail of this problem is, I don't know, read on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like of any other issue. That, that sounds kind of like um, um, <laughs> baiting for savior syndrome. Savior, is it syndrome? <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah i don't think i would do that like i would maybe tell them why i, I prefer to do it because i've done this before i know how blah blah uh but i don't think i'll really let them burn themselves but again i'm thinking about those kind of work-related scenarios where it would hurt everybody if it happened if it would hurt them i would let them learn perhaps if it doesn't hurt too much if it's gonna hurt everybody it'd be hard to fix nah let them learn on their own time. This is interesting because this gets into the uh, realm of managers versus teammates versus something else. And I can remember many, many different situations in which I task someone to do something. I know very well that I'm going to do it in, let's say, an hour. I know that they will never be able to because X, Y, and Z. But I still want them to try. I want them to struggle with it. I want them to get creative with it. And eventually, they may surprise me. And they'd be like, yeah, I'm done in like 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, like my understanding of this has just shattered. And I thought that I know what I'm doing, but obviously not. More often than not, it would be reversed. It would be them struggling with it for sometime and I'm waiting for it, for them to reach out to me or I reach out to them and I'm like, 
how is this thing going? What I'm looking for in this situation is I want them to identify what is the, the thing that they're missing, right? I want them to realize what is the core of the problem? Why can't they solve this issue? And to me, if they realize why they can't solve this issue, they've solved it, right? They tell me, I know the answer. Maybe it's some interdisciplinary thing they're missing. Maybe it's some vital information about the business they're missing. Maybe it's some classified data they're missing, right? If they can identify this, to me, they've done all the learning. They've gotten everything out of the process. And I can give them the thing on a silver platter, right? And be like, what you're saying, what you're saying is the savior, but being a manager, you're not the savior. You're basically helping them <laughs> to learn and become better professionals. So I, I disagree with the savior thing. It's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, I didn't really think about it this way. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that, that's good. Like giving learning opportunities. And, and that's kind of the vibe of, um, in university, when you do those projects as a undergrad, graduate student, even as a PhD to some extent, although then it gets a bit more professional. Yeah, as I was saying, like I, I've actually thought about it the way you just described it when I was doing those projects with uh, university professors or those research projects, but as an undergraduate. And their sole point is to just learn. Like the professor knows that me as an undergraduate can't really produce something revolutionary but i can learn uh, and they give me those tasks they even communicate with me they they direct me but it's entirely about the learning so yeah the learning aspect really really changes it but if it's just about getting the results done and we take learning out of the equation i think i go back to my original original point and if we think that learning is always a part of everything we do which it is then yeah um i see what you mean it's good. And then there's the opposite end, actually. For So we're talking about somebody who thinks they can get it done, but they can't actually. But then there's the reverse of somebody who, who can do it, but they don't believe in themselves, in themselves enough. And then it's the best thing ever to, you know, allow them to do it, to, to push them a bit, maybe, to get it done. And when they find it in themselves to get it done, they, they're probably going to be very happy that they've realized that you know, it was all inside of you all along and, and you knew how to do it. You were just a bit shy or uh, didn't believe in yourself enough. You having been through whatever you've been through in your life, all your work-related stuff and all your university-related stuff, research-related stuff, when you see a new problem, do you think to yourself, oh, I'm not able to do this or this is rarely the case? Um <laughs> this just sounds like terrible but yeah not really uh like okay for example it, it there it's very clearly cut for me in the sense that if it's anything that has to do with um how do i say this there are those fields in which any achievement is too much for me you know if it's anything to do with i don't know singing painting anything like this any task and i immediately say no it's too much for me doesn't matter what it is, no matter how small, I can't do it. I could try, but I know I'm going to fail. But then if it's anything to do with software or... or Let's say tech, programming, yeah. Yeah, like even if it's something that I have no idea how to even approach, something I've never seen before, 
I, I kind of approach it from, okay, it's obviously solvable given enough time. Do I want to dedicate that much time to it? And solvable, I mean that at least I'll figure out, you know, whether it's possible at all and if it's possible, how to get it done. There's no unsolvable problems, right? So yeah, for me, it's either I don't even begin going in that direction or yeah, it's definitely doable. It's just going to cost me that amount of time. It's interesting. Um, what I will answer to this is that, thanks for asking. <laughs> what I would answer to this is that I would never say something is not doable. I think it's related to confidence in things that you have achieved. At some point, you reach the you reach some state of yourself in which you're so confident. And by the way, this comes with taking responsibility, dealing with accountability and so on. So that's why I brought it up, right? And after a certain point, you reach this state that I've been feeling for some time is that I would never approach a problem with it cannot be done before doing X amount of research and being like, nobody has done it before. There is nothing about it on the internet. There is nothing, nobody is talking about this thing at all. This is the point in which I'll, I'll be like, I cannot do this thing, right? However, if anything, if just the slightest bit of stuff has been done on the problem, it will be very much interesting for me to, to explore it, see if I can contribute in, uh, contribute to it in, in some way, and then take on the challenge to do it or to give up doing it. However, to me, this is very related to the concept of scoping, which we've decided to devote a whole session on. Anyways, I think we should end this session. It's about two hours now. Sounds like a big responsibility to now edit all of this footage. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I wanted to ask you this final question. What do you think about this podcast in terms of responsibility? Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I said about the responsibility of editing because uh, it's a shared responsibility between the two of us, right? And uh, for example, for the editing, which is a big part of it, it's a big task, you've been just taking the responsibility. It was explicitly verbalized, so we like, discussed it and said, okay, I want to edit it. But it's still some responsibility that, that it just sucks away time and, and effort and just organizing it is, is a bunch of effort. So, yeah, what other things do we split for so for example preparing the topic for a particular episode you had thought about this topic you had prepared these eight questions that you said you kind of knew you're gonna ask at one point or another so this responsibility for each episode to just make it interesting to to have stuff to talk about i guess down the line we're gonna have the responsibility to i don't popularize it to we have the responsibility to make time for it every week to meet so there's many responsibilities i think in general so far you've been thinking more of the responsibility like the editing and you're pushing a bit more for, for the jingles and stuff like that don't worry about it but yeah exactly it's this shared responsibility but there's no such thing as real shared responsibility you just took the I remember I was going to see all that time back. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was about those bounty cards I've opened on Trello. 
which is essentially a backlog uh, of tasks that anybody is capable of doing. And I've put a bounty tag on them, meaning that anybody is free to do them. And you know, supposedly, if you do them, you get kind of karma points, let's say, like in, in Reddit. And I was thinking about those communities online, uh, like forums, like Reddit, where there's no, let's say, very tangible gain that you get from, from doing the job, but people still do it and they're very serious about it. Um, you know, it's my responsibility as a moderator for this group for it to be on topic, for it to be very, I don't know, supportive of its members, etc. So it's interesting how they, they get it done. I guess not really shared because there's always the admin, but the group of admins. Um, but yeah, I don't know, just online communities, I think, are quite, and not just online, like small communities in general, are quite good at, at shared responsibility. We all have our responsibilities. Here on the Life Math Podcast, we have an extra responsibility to promote our product, Triveta.com, the go-to solution for meeting clients online. Now, you, dear listener, are a part of this podcast, so this is your responsibility as well. How can I help you, Ilya? How can I help this podcast? How can I take responsibility? Well, very easily. Please Tell anyone who requires a paid online meeting to make a living to check out Triveta.com. Oh, sorry, I don't know anyone who provides services online. Oh, but yes, you do. Consultants, lawyers, physicians, yoga instructors, fitness instructors, teachers, accountants, life coaches, astrologists, stand-up comedians, mock case interviewers, dungeon masters, online team buildings, organizers... There are so many people that provide services online. Just think about it. Take responsibility for this podcast.